This is Sam. This is Paul. And this is Fight Study. A note to our loyal listeners. If you love the show, please support us and help us get paid for our labor by joining Team Southpaw on Patreon. By becoming a member, you'll get access to bonus content like exclusive articles, fight previews, bonus episodes, transcripts of fight studies, and access to our private chat group on Discord. But more importantly, you will help us supplement the cost of the show, the incredible time and energy Sam and I put into making the show, and you'll be giving us some breathing room not only to juggle Southpaw with our day jobs, but also expand Southpaw into other areas. Show your Southpaw solidarity by supporting us at patreon.com slash southpawpod. UFC 248 featured two title fights with both champions making their first defenses. Middleweight champion Israel Adesanya faced off against Yoel Romero in the main event, while Zhang Wiley fought Joanna Jonjechik for the strawweight belt. Both fights went to the judges' scorecards, but the fights themselves were wildly different. Adesanya defeated Romero by unanimous decision, with one judge giving Adesanya four rounds to one. Meanwhile, Zhang defeated Yon Jaechik by split decision, and although the final scores were all 48-47, to the scorecards themselves were all over the place. The only round the judges had in common was round 3, which they gave to Yon Jaechik as a 10-9. Recently, split decisions has become a hot topic, and this fight adds to that discussion. First, let's talk briefly about the main event. A lot of fans, media, and other fighters were underwhelmed by the main event. And after a war like Zhang versus Yon Jacek, it's hard to blame them. The fight game itself is never easy to predict, and sometimes these matchups don't live up to their hype. Let's also not forget that Adesanya could have avoided this fight altogether, but didn't want to remain inactive while Paulo Costa recovered from surgery. He called out Romero specifically to address the criticism that he hasn't faced a strong wrestler, and for that, he should be applauded. There's tons of fighters, and champions for that matter, who have gone their entire careers or championship runs without facing someone that is stylistically a nightmare for them. When we have a champion that welcomes these kind of challenges, we should be aware that they do this at their own peril. It could mean that they suffer a loss or end up with a snoozer like this. Boring title fights aren't new. In fact, the UFC has had several of them in recent times and in the past. Whether it's Tito Ortiz versus Vladimir Matyushenko, Tim Sylvia versus Andrei Arlovsky III, or Anderson Silva versus Damian Maya, the UFC has had boring title fights before, and they'll probably have more in the future. As fans, we need to have perspective and realize that these duds are possible from time to time. And unless we get them consistently, we should be grateful for the amazing matches we do get, like the co-main for this card. If there's a saving grace for UFC 248, it was definitely the co-main event. 
Zhang beat Yonjacek by split decision, with two judges scoring the fight in her favor, 48-47, and one lone judge giving it to Yonjacek. With all the action this fight had, it's important to note that this fight almost didn't happen. Zhang trains out of Beijing, China, and getting her visa to fight stateside has been an issue more than once. In late 2019, Zhang's visa was declined twice, keeping her from coming to the U.S. to promote a future title fight. In a strange twist that saw MMA and politics colliding again, Tulsi Gabbard intervened and offered to help sort out things with the State Department. This also explains why she was in the cage following Jane's victory. But even as close as late February, there were concerns that the travel restrictions from China and the U.S. would prevent Jane from entering the country. Fortunately, Jang and her team moved their training over to Thailand before being moved to Abu Dhabi by the UFC. From there, Jang continued training until her visa to travel to the US was secured. That's quite a journey, and it's something that shouldn't be glossed over. Imagine being a fighter and starting your training camp, only to be told that through no fault of your own, you have to pack up everything and move to another country outside your comfort zone. You're already aware that the fight itself will be on foreign soil, but training camp as well? Fine. You decide to go with the flow and go somewhere else. Once you're there, you get told again to pack up your clothes and gear. You're being moved once more to a different country so that you can hopefully get your visa secured and compete on schedule. Traveling with the predetermined schedule is stressful enough but having to make last-minute changes with no guarantee of being able to reach your intended destination? What a nightmare. This problem was only compounded by the thinly-veiled racism that Jang faced due to the coronavirus. Yon Jacek reposted a Photoshop of herself in a hazmat suit, poking fun at the situation going on in Jang's home country. Even if that can be played off as a harmless prank, the fact that there were fans chanting, coronavirus during Jane's open workout was completely disrespectful and straight-up racist. Jane responded by flipping them the bird, and those chanting were escorted out. Things seemed to be settled until Yon Jacek confronted Jane during the face-off, claiming that she quote-unquote disrespected the Polish fans. I don't know if Yon Jacek was aware why Jane flipped them off, but if Yon Jacek is claiming to have the back of clearly racially insensitive fans, it's not a good look for her at all. Zhang doesn't speak English well, and she lets her action speak for herself. Luckily, both fighters delivered in an all-out classic. It's hard to describe the action round by round, and frankly, that would be a disservice to the fight itself. Instead, let's talk about certain habits and strategies that both fighters used as the fight started as well as how they adjusted. Early on, both fighters exchanged lead low kicks to gauge their distance, and from there, each of them had success implementing parts of their own game plan. If you've read the fight preview for this matchup, there's a good chance a lot of the techniques and habits seem familiar to you. Jang loved hammering in the lead inside low kick, and even though she was going up against the more decorated kickboxer in Yonjacek, she didn't care. Alexander Volkanovsky is another champion that loves throwing the inside lead low kick, and for much of the same reason. 
Yonjacek is a taller fighter with longer reach, but by using the inside lead low kick, Jang is able to cover distance quickly and get herself in the best position to start throwing lead hooks and straights. Jang did this multiple times, and in addition to being able to get closer to Yonjacek, she forced stance switches from the challenger, as well as hurt her at times when Yonjacek had more of her weight in the front foot. Another thing that Jang seemed to have picked up from Yonjacek's past fight with Valentina Shevchenko is that the best time to strike her is during her attacks. Too many fighters in the past have given Yonjacek respect and opted to wait until she's done striking to assert their own offense. This is something you see a lot in traditional martial arts, and it's why guys like Paul Felder seem surprised when they get hit with counters quicker than they expected. It's the old, I hit you, you hit me, let's see who can take more mindset. Even during training, good coaches know that a fighter should have defensive responses mid-combination, since there's a very good chance that their opponent won't simply take the punishment and wait for their turn. In this fight, Jang struck back while Yonjacek was in the midst of jabbing or throwing an axe kick, and it forced Yonjacek to respond quicker than expected. Yonjacek looked great picking Jang apart at range, but it also helps that Jang move forward more often than expected. Whenever you approach a counter-striker in a straight line, you're giving them exactly what they want. Jang did a good job moving laterally and pressuring Yonjacek with feints, but her attack seemed to come head-on without much thought. This is also how Yonjacek was able to land strikes that seemed to be more powerful than they actually are, since Jang supplied the early momentum. When the fight did get to close range, it was the accurate combination work of Yonjacek against the more powerful strikes of Jang. You could see that as the fight went on, Jang felt that she was the stronger fighter and was willing to eat a few strikes in order to get close enough to land her own right straight and hooks. One thing that seemed to surprise Yonjacek was the speed of Jang. One look at Jang's fights makes it clear that she's very strong for the division, but what's not counted often is her speed. Yonjacek is one of the better fighters when it comes to ringcraft being able to measure distance and keeping her feet within the two black lines. When Jang landed her punches, Yonjacek seemed certain that she was within a safe enough distance to not get caught. Nama Yunes and Shevchenko often hit their ability to cover distance quickly by either fainting or throwing punches immediately after kicking, both of which Jang did. At the end of the second round, a pattern was starting to emerge. Yonjacek was looking to start her offense with kicks and counter with punches while moving laterally. Jang would use her inside lead low kicks to cover distance and set up her right straight, with the occasional side kick and spinning kick if her initial low kick missed. In round 3, Yonjacek spent large portions of her time in southpaw, hoping to land the left high kick and give herself more space in the open stance. Jang had some trouble adjusting, and Yonjacek took full advantage of this by landing multiple high kicks and hammering her left straight. It's also very possible that the constant lead low kick of Zhang was starting to take its toll. What kept Zhang competitive in this round was the clinch and takedowns. Even though she wasn't able to keep Yonjacek down for long, it did just enough to keep Yonjacek from teeing off. Zhang was a bit more economical when it came to moving around in the octagon, but she didn't throw with any less power. This was also the round in which Jang was able to get Yonjacek's head swelling up with a perfectly timed right hand. 
it definitely looks worse than it actually is. But it also doesn't help that there's 10 more minutes for Jang to target the forehead and make it balloon up even more. To the surprise of no one, that's exactly what Jang did, starting the championship rounds by looking specifically at Yo Jacek's forehead. The southpaw stance of Yo Jacek was still giving Jang problems, but it seemed as he was able to time Yo Jacek's attacks and counter whenever they got in close range. When Yo Jacek opted to stand still for just a moment, Jang took advantage by coming in with left hooks and right straights. Even though it was clear that Jang was the more fatigued of the two, she made the most of it by taking less steps and focusing on her counters instead of pressuring Yonjacek. The final round came down to the volume and accuracy of Yonjacek against the speed and power of Jang. One of Jang's left hooks hit Yonjacek right on the nose, doing some more cosmetic damage and reminding fans of her power. It was interesting to see Yonjacek come forward and having Jang play the counter striker, essentially switching their roles from the first few rounds. Knowing that the fight was close, Jang spent the last few minutes pressuring Yon Jacek and forcing her to throw, often with misses. This was the same game plan that Nama Yunus used, and it's good to see that even in the last few minutes of a fight, the strategy itself is sound. The fight itself was incredibly fun to watch, and just as difficult to score. If you go strictly by the numbers, Yon Jacek landed more significant strikes total strikes and at the higher accuracy rate. Round by round, it becomes a lot more difficult to pick a winner. Although Yuan Jacek landed more, it was clear that the power of Jang took its toll. If you go by the visuals, it was Yuan Jacek who definitely looked worse for the wear, literally having her face rearranged and a swelling that just would not go down. The only bright spots in all these split decisions are the great fights that we've been spoiled with. As for what's next for both fighters, it's going to be interesting to see who they pick next for both. Yonjacek has fallen 0-4 in her past four title matches, but she's essentially undefeated outside of championship fights. The UFC can try and pit her against someone else in the top 10. A fight against Tatiana Suarez could be intriguing. Suarez is so far undefeated in the division, but has yet to face someone the level of Yonjacek. It'll be a good litmus test to see if she's ready to challenge for the title. Given that Yun Jacek should get some time off anyways, perhaps they'll both be ready for each other when a return date is scheduled. For Jang, it seems that the winner of the Jessica Andrade and Rose Namba Yunus fight could be a perfect setup. Ideally, Suarez should have been challenging her for the belt, but given her ongoing neck issues, we're still not sure when Suarez is slated for a return. It seems unfair to Suarez to throw her into a 5-round title fight after an extended layoff, and if Nama Yunus is able to beat Andrade, who better for a second title defense than another former champion? Time will tell how the future will unfold for Jang, but let's give the champion some well-deserved time off after a fight for the ages. Now that's the show. We've grown Southpaw purely from word of mouth, so that means it's all organic. So if you're already spreading the word, please continue to do so. If you've never done it, please consider telling your friends, sharing on social media, and also leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. This will make it easier for others to find us. And since this is independent media, 
Every dollar you pledge on Patreon goes a long way in the production of the show and will help us expand with more content on more platforms. Show your Southpaw solidarity by supporting us at patreon.com slash southpawpod. Until next time, goodbye.